global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. I'm Doug Christner in New York. Let's begin in the bond market because we're seeing a narrowing of yield spreads, uh, 80 basis points now between the U.S. 10-year and the two-year Treasury. And this may be suggesting that the U.S. economy is poised to weaken. Uh, yesterday, of course, uh, the Wall Street Journal sat down with St. Louis Fed Bank President Jim Bullard. He was talking about whether or not the Fed, in its current trajectory of interest rate increases, or at least what it's laid out so far, is unnecessarily aggressive. And then Bullard today, speaking in Nashville, raised concern about recent inflation data, and he was saying maybe the, wait, the Fed can wait uh, before deciding on another rate hike. So with questions kind of looming about the health of the U.S. economy, we have uh, the equity market kind of held in a very narrow range. The Dow right now kind of flat, S&P 500 up about two-tenths of one percent, NASDAQ composite better by about four-tenths of one percent. The big story of the week, obviously, the route that we have seen in the crude oil space. Right now, WTI just below $43 a barrel. We are up about one-half of one percent, trading 42.96. Many of the energy stocks had been up earlier in sympathy as we were seeing kind of a recovery in crude. Eco data for the U.S., uh, surprisingly strong U.S. home sales. Uh, on a month-to-month basis, we were up 2.9%. And if you look at this annually, uh, the gain for the month of May was 9%, so uh, somewhat robust when it comes to, to the real estate market. All right, so you guys are caught up on markets. Let's get back to Carol and Corey now and more Bloomberg markets. Thank you very much, Doug. Well, it is 1148 here on the West Coast and 248 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Ramesh Paneru, a columnist for Bloomberg View. Liberal writer Peter Beinart recently wrote something provocative about immigration. He says that Democrats have become too tolerant of illegal immigration and need to remember the virtue of assimilation. Democratic views on these issues have shifted over the last decade. Prominent liberals used to say that immigration may hurt low-wage workers and that illegal immigration damages the rule of law. But Democrats moved left as they came to think that immigration and their support for it would help them win big political victories. That judgment was, at least in the short run, mistaken. Beinert suggests that Hillary Clinton might have won the election if only she talked more about helping immigrants learn English rather than advertising her comfort with Spanish. But Beinert goes only so far. Bringing in more high-skilled immigrants and fewer relatives of past immigrants would, he says, cruelly betray our country's best traditions. In truth, it would only be a shift in priorities. And Beinert doesn't consider whether a reduction in immigration levels might aid assimilation. He's right that liberals should rethink immigration, but that rethinking has barely begun. I'm Ramesh Paneru. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentaries can be heard every weekday at this time. And also at 5.48, 8.48, and 11.48 Wall Street time. You're all the treasure I'm dreaming of. Measure for measure. Well, folks over at... Uh the FTSE Russell, they're going to be rebalancing some of their indexes at the uh, close of trading today. We want to talk a little bit about that uh, and the market environment for indexing. Mark Makepeace is with us. He's our, the chief executive officer at uh, FTSE Russell, based in London, in our Bloomberg 1130 studio on this Friday. Welcome to Bloomberg Radio. Thank you for having me. Um, talk to us about the rebalancing and what it, uh, the significance of it. Well, the rebalancing is the uh, one of the 
biggest trading days in uh, the US. Um, the Russell 3000 is used um, by institutional investors as the, the benchmark for the US. Uh, and many of them have moved that benchmark to the 3000 over the last you know, 10 years. The reason for that is they get exposure to a broader range of companies and particularly they pick up the small cap effect. And, of course, the small cap in this country is captured and everyone knows the Russell 2000. Corey and I love talking about the small cap space because <laughs> it's, it's kind of underreported, undercovered. Um, but I do feel like uh, the small cap, the mid-cap space too, but you yeah. can find some interesting yeah. opportunities. And, and that's what's happening here is you, you're, you're bringing in all of those small cap companies, the, the, the young companies that have joined the market over the last year or that have grown from being real sort of minnows to becoming small cap companies, they're exciting. And um, this reconstitution brings those into the, the institutional investors, if you like, um, remit. It's interesting, too. I think, uh, you know, it, regular investors, uh, um, retail investors, don't really know how indexes, I think, uh, are used by professional investors. What What is the sort of classic case of the index being used by a, by a fund? Well, there's two ways. And well, active fund managers, yeah, too, active right? active fund managers. And, in fact, the biggest use is by the active fund managers. And, and they will use the indices to define, if you like, the investable opportunity set. So their, their, their performance is measured against that index. And um, they're rewarded for outperforming the index uh, and punished if they underperform, in a way. Um, and the reason they use indices rather than just say, if you, you know, perform better than three percent five percent the reason for that is if the stock market naturally rises ten percent you want the active manager to do better than that and if the stock market is flat well if he achieves a three five percent uh return he's done very well so you're measuring his skill Mm -hmm. rather than just paying for the lift or fall of the market but the problem is markets, it's for every winner, there's a loser. For every seller, there's a buyer. And what happens is just if you take account that active fees are higher than passive fees, if you take the fact that the market, every winner, there's a loser, the index will always be in that average space. And because passive fees are lower than active, and during times when there are low returns, which is what we're in today, mm-hmm. that reduced fees means the index is in the top quartile all the time. So the argument for index. That's the argument for index. Now, the other trend you've got is indices are also underlie um, what we call quantitative strategies. Now, these are basically active strategies where they've been identified by academics and, and leading professionals as, as there is a return that's, that you can predict. So in other words, small cap is such what we would describe it in, the, in, the, in our world as a factor. So small mm-hmm. cap companies should outperform during certain economic times in the same way value and growth. Um, value should uh, outperform in the long run growth will outperform during certain times. Since Trump came in, growth has outperformed. There's an expectation that these companies are going to grow. And you're seeing that with some of the tech companies. I mean, the largest five companies in the UK now is unique five tech companies, growth companies. Right. Okay, so so these are sort of factors, and you can define these, and the indices are used also then for providing you with a cheaper way 
of identifying these things and a cheaper way of investing in that way. Let me ask you, though, about the amount of money. Um, your indices, the FTSE Russell, mm. I'm just looking at a number of, I think it's, is it about $12.5 trillion? Yeah, uh, it was at the end of 2006. How much money is being it's tracked much, by your indices? And, 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 and um, it's not always easy to track. So, so we use Morningstar, Investment, so we use services that can track So what's, what's the, the number that you guys play the, with? The money, the money we have at the end of 2016, we could identify through these public means $12.5 trillion. Okay. okay. We've recently just announced we're buying the um, bond indices of City. That will take us through these public sources up to $15 trillion. How do you feel, and I know you just talked about the passive and active Mm. play of using indices, Mm. but so much money being in indices, Mm. and I know you've addressed this issue before, especially when you've got computers and machine learning and so on and so forth, making investment decisions. When you take the human out of it too much, does that create potentially problems in kind of a a good, healthy trade? Got about 30 seconds. 30 seconds. (laughs) Quick answer is, look, the the indices, um, you have a couple of big competitors, us, MSCI, S&P. We have to compete for the business of the buy side. So the buy side is what's really important. So the big investors what's really important to us. So if we don't do what the So you've got to do it, but is it good? Is it healthy for the market? It is, because it's what's right for the investor. And so if you look at listing balls, today you've got regulators, listing companies, which investors think are high risk. We set rules which are higher than regulators because of that. Mark Makepeace, thank you so much. Chief Executive Officer at FTSE Russell, based in London, in our Bloomberg studio.